You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. This is the final episode of Black Clock Audio Tales, and it is an episode where David Heath talks about W.E.B. Du Bois. It's not just a final episode of Black Clock Audio Tales, but it's also the first episode of Oleander Book Club. And more details on Oleander Book Club coming up soon. Uh, We're going to be talking about goblins next month. And yeah, we've got some surprises and a more cohesive uh, idea of what's going on with the podcast. Why am I getting this feedback? Ah, that radio tower by the new station is so weird. Okay. Anyway, so uh, here is some W.B. Du Bois, um, Dave talking about W.B. Du Bois. And yes, uh, help the show however you can. Uh, Help people be courteous, be kind, be safe, be smart. And, you know, take care of yourself. Wash your hands. Don't be a jerk. Uh, if, if, if you can help those around you, if you can't let people know that you need help, I don't know. Uh, I love you. Stay safe, everyone. Here's David Heath. So we're going to do things a little bit different today. And, uh, and, you know, normally I really enjoy talking about uh, you know, writer Jack London, uh, you know, Robert E. Howard, Lovecraft. But today we're going to, it's going to be a little different show. And that we're going to talk about uh, W.E.B. Uh, du Bois. Like many Americans, I first encountered uh, W.E.B. Uh, du Bois uh, in high school history. Um, a little bit, uh, just sidetracked a little bit about me. Uh, I went to, I'm a proud product of the uh, California public education system. And things, they changed up the, the, the mandatory curriculum for high school students uh, when I was going from a freshman and a sophomore. So they changed things around. And so basically, because I was in the middle of it, they almost, we almost had to take no people in my graduating class had to take a lot of the mandatory classes. You know, we had to have science, we had math, or, you know. But we had a lot more electives. And I had to take U.S. history, but I didn't have to take uh, world history. But I, you know, I loved history so much that as a senior, that was my elective. You know, there was a bunch of, of sophomores that were required and me and my friend Mike, who's a junior at the time, and we took, uh, you know, world history. We didn't have to. We took it because, you know, we loved the subject. So uh, my first experience, like I said, was in high school, and it was in U.S. history. And you get the the basic. You get the comparison between W.E.B. Uh, du Bois and George Washington Carver. And, you know, you, you, you get the very sort of simple, you know, that Du Bois was much, you know, didn't want to stand down. He felt that African Americans absolutely not only deserved a seat at the table, they deserved a seat in the leadership table. 
where Carver was more consolatory. He, besides inventing peanut butter, uh, he is the person who wanted more emphasis on African Americans getting good jobs. And it was less important to him that African Americans guide the nation as long as the average African American could participate in the, had an option to participate in the middle class. Now, both those are oversimplifications into what were very interesting and very complex human beings. So the, the rest that I kind of got out of, of you know, high school history was, you know, the, of course, that uh, uh, the Niagara Movement and that uh, W.E.B. Uh, du Bois uh, was a, you know, he was definitely one of the founders of the uh, NAACP. Um, but I didn't get a lot out. I mean, we and honestly, we didn't have a lot of time. This was a very general history of, you know, the United States, but I came out of that thinking, honestly, thinking that, you know, the guy's name was Webb Dubois. And it wasn't until college that I, you know, realized, you know, that it was actually W.E.B. Uh, du Bois. And it is a shame that African American history is short change so much and, and 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 it's not necessarily an agenda that it is short changed in public you know uh high schools it's that there is just not enough time and and, and I would love to see a world history an american history and then at least a semester uh, of immigrant, you know, Hispanic, Native American, and African American history. Because uh, one thing I definitely got out of college is, which I was a history major, I went to UCLA, is that you cannot cover and understand and comprehend the history of the United States without understanding African-American history. Absolutely believe that. Now, I'm not saying study African-American history to the exclusive of all other histories. No, but if you ignore what was done by and to African-Americans, you're ignoring the history of the United States. You can't understand, you know, American history unless... African-American history is a component of that. And same thing, you cannot understand American history if immigrant history is not part of it, or Native American history, especially Native American history, or uh, Latinx history. It's just very important, I think, aspect. And if someone, by ignorance or whatever or purpose, ignores those aspects of history, they are ignoring history and, and the core of American history. To, to me, 
ignoring African American history in American history is like if you were going to ignore William the Conqueror in English history. There's just going to be a huge block that just isn't going to... If you don't know that huge block, the rest isn't going to... So when I went to UCLA, uh, and at the time it was the world's largest history department, uh, I ended up taking quite a few African and African-American history classes. Part of it was because I commuted from Ventura County, uh, and I took a van pool, and I had only a certain time that I could take classes, part of it was I found it fascinating. And it's one of the ways that I learned through African-American history that history is not just textbook history. It's just not what you read in a book. And, and among the African-American classes I took and, and African classes I took, a, you know, the history of Southern Africa, I took a, the effect of the slave trade on Africa, I took African-American history, uh, the, the beginning. I took oral history. I took um, a class that I just loved uh, and was surprised. It wasn't even, it was a theater arts class. And it was a class on African-American theater in the 20th century. And it was, I was just amazing how I understood African-Americans and what they were going through at the time through their theater, what African-American audiences wrote about their theater um, or experiences. And it was just an amazing way to understand America. And that's how I sort of really, really got to know uh, uh, W.E.B. Uh, du Bois was in my uh, African-American history class where uh, we focused on books written by um, um, black authors, but also who were also um, advocates for African-American rights. Uh, and I loved, of all the stuff I read, I think maybe Souls of Black Folk were the book that I read during that time the most with the possible exception of the um, autobiography of Malcolm X. Du Bois is, of course, the first African-American PhD to graduate from Harvard. And he is not only smart, he is brilliant. And he is not only brilliant, he is articulate. And he... Um, not only he studied at Harvard, but he studied in Germany for two years. So not only is he this articulate, brilliant person, he has a worldview, having traveled outside the United States, that many uh, white people of his time are not going to experience. He obviously has an education that is not going to be... Um, you know, equaled by many of the white people of America at the time. And, and I think his time period, too, is important. Because he's born uh, in 1868, the same year that the 14th Amendment is passed 
for among other reasons, so that states can't start their own slavery laws and put people back into slavery. And he dies literally the night before Martin Luther King's I Had a Dream speech. So he covers quite a bit of American history. Um, And the next step is I want to talk about is a little lesser known, but it's something that I ended up doing a deep dive in one of my um, history classes. It was a small class. Like My history of rock and roll class at UCLA was 500 people. This was a, a deep dive, 20-person class where you spent time with the teacher. And my project, we were supposed to deep dive on a academic, peer-reviewed, historical essay in a, in, a, in a history magazine. And the one that I ended up doing on was about uh, W.E.B. Uh, du Bois and a very, very uh, not covered period of his time. And it was time during World War II. And I do not remember the name of the magazine and I do not remember the name of the article, or I remember the writer, the author was an Irishman, um, but I didn't remember the details on that, and I apologize, because I'd love to give it to you. Um, but as it goes, he basically, the writer says that Du Bois, who was made a lieutenant colonel, sort of an example, and he was in his 70s, he was like 75, and so he went from civilian to lieutenant colonel, to sort of give African-Americans part recruiting, but sort of some, hey, you know, we support the war effort. And, and I think part of the reason that that Du Bois supported the war effort in World War II is, remember, he spent two years in Germany, and I think he loved the German people and hated what the Nazi party was doing to them. And once they got into power. So Du Bois pretty quickly accepts this rank and is willing to be a, an example to African Americans. And this article was very critical of him of that and basically said, you know, that he had kind of sold out and that he should have gotten for the uh, rank and African-American soldiers and sailors. Part of it, I think, was this sort of tendency in the late 80s, early 90s in history to target and torpedo and sort of destroy the myth of historical people. And the, the more perfect they seem, or the more that they seem larger than life, the more they sort of aimed at them. And to some point, I agree that, you know, we've got to accept these historical figures with warts and all, but I think that it was, this was unfair. And the reason why is part of it's hindsight. Absolutely um, could he have done more for the African-American the average soldier? Absolutely. But maybe, he could, how could you see at the time? 
And he had to weigh this thought of this very aggressive attack by the Japanese and war with Germany. Do you really bargain with the government during that time? Should he have sat down and said no? And maybe he should have. And I'm sure these are things that he thought, and, and it's stuff we discussed when I was going in this, this article. But, you know, he was fighting what he felt was evil, the Axis. Um, and yes, he had spent his entire life fighting the government, but he did. He relaxed a little bit so that they could fight this common enemy. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. There, yes, and it's not like he gave up. He kept fighting, you know, for African Americans and their rights. You know, he fought valiantly and ferociously. And the other, the guy was 75 years old. Probably better shape than I was, or I am at this time, you know, and I'm, I'm much younger than that. But, you know, he, he was an older person. Nobody would have thought ill of him if he had just said, you know, go guys, you know, fight fight this war, uh, but I'm an old man. He didn't. He was there. He was an officer. He was at 75 serving his country. And, and I think that deserves a lot of respect. And my teacher didn't really agree with what I I thought or I had to say. And, and part of it was from a historical point of view of my presentations. But I ended up getting to see in that class. So, eh, oh, well. But uh, that was where I really got a deep dive into uh, W.E.B. Uh, du Bois. After uh, really kind of getting to know him uh, from my African-American history class. And, and reading The Souls of Black Folk. What is very important now, what I cannot say is that I experience and understand what an African American is going through absolutely i i I honestly roll my eyes at whites who say that African Americans do not have it harder in this country than whites do. Absolutely not true. And I cannot completely appreciate what they go through. But I can try. I can understand. I can be open. And if you've been listening this month to uh, uh, W.E.B. Uh, du Bois' uh, Souls of Black, Black Folk, then you can't, a very educated, a very articulate person is explaining what he and the people, the African-American people of the United States during that time experienced. So can I completely appreciate what he and all the rest went through? No, but I have a better understanding of it and a better compassion because of it. Now, why I think it's so important, I'm going to give you a personal story, and yes, I am going to get on a soapbox, but honestly, this is a story I think needs to be told. 
So I was at a gaming event or an activity, and I was introduced to this girl, and well, she was pretty. And context of the story, when I say girl, I mean she was in her late 20s, early 30s, so yeah, a little younger than me, but um, I believe she said that she had a college education. So she was, uh, you know, at least in her mid-20s. Um, and so we were talking a little bit about gaming, and uh, it went slightly to politics, and, and all of a sudden it just takes this, the conversation takes this left turn. And, and she says, well, you know, um, there were Irish slaves that got just as bad as the black slaves, but you don't hear about them because they're not demanding reparations. And you just could hear the the needle skip, you know, the record track in my brain. So, before we go on, a little bit more about me. I am the descendant of an indentured servant, uh, an English indentured servant, and I am descendants of the Irish. Absolutely. Did the Irish get shafted in the history of America? Absolutely. But they did not suffer the indignity that African Americans did in slavery. And I'm going to tell you the difference. And remember, this is coming from a descendant of an indentured servant. So, the first thing that really sets slaves and indentured servants apart is that indentured servants and when we say indentured servants that really is kind of a euphemism when we're talking about the Irish and some part the English because a lot of them were not indentured servants but prisoners so yes there were Irish that were forced to America whether they wanted to go or not but those Irishmen, once they hit the shore, the English government didn't care about them anymore. They were America's problems, and they were set free. So they were not slaves. Another is that the indentured servants, yes, they had to pay for their trip to America. But once that was paid, and yes, I get it, that that sometimes, you know, they they pumped up the prices. Sure, of course they did. But once they get, did pay off that, they were, they were free. Or had, if they weren't free, they were given a period of where they were for servitude. But this was as prisoners, not as slaves. And so basically it was part of their... Their penalty, their penalty for the crimes. A lot, though, they, they didn't care and let them walk. So there was about 50, 55,000 um, prisoners dumped in America. And some of them were, like I said, dumped, and some of them had to do uh, penal servitude, but eventually all were released. Now, that's from all countries. And Probably 200,000 indentured servants 
uh, and again from the Revolution to the Civil War. And, and remember, it's not just Irish. Like I said, I've got English indentured servants, uh, descendants. So, yeah, that's a fair amount. But there was a million to six million African Americans taken from Africa and forced. And, you know, and the, the 55,000 prisoners that were dumped in the United States, they had no choice. But, you know, the, the, the servants, the indentured servants, was almost all had choice, chosen to do this. But here's the big difference, I feel, between an indentured servant and a slave. If a person killed an indentured servant, they'd committed murder. You know, even even people under penal servitude uh, in prison had some rights. But if that same person killed an African-American slave, they hadn't committed murder. They had committed property damage and would owe restitution to the slave owner. That's the big difference between my people, the indentured servants, and what the African Americans went through. They went through something terrible and horrific where they were no longer considered human beings. And you know what? I get that that was a long time ago, but something so horrific... It doesn't change on both sides. It takes time. And I mean longer than longer than what's happened now. So, you know, I should have just... I got out of that 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 uh, gaming event and I left. But you know what? I absolutely should have told that girl off. I should have t- explained to her why she was wrong. And maybe... I'm, you know, maybe, maybe she, didn't, she doesn't know. She just was taught that way. But the truth is, you know... Nothing justifies the horror of slavery. Nothing justifies a white cop kneeling on an African-American's neck until he dies. Nothing justifies the hatred that I have seen from white people, some of whom were my friends, that were the institutional hatred that is aimed sometimes at African Americans. And if there is a cure, it is knowledge. And in my opinion, one of the greatest works to understand and to have empathy for the African-American experience in the United States is W.E.B. Du Bois. And I would recommend people of all races to to read it and and understand not only African-American history, but American history. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you keep on listening to 
Oleander Book Club, which we're going to keep this going almost as often as the old show was going with Blacklock Audio Tales, and as much as we tried to do it with the readings with People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's still the same show. We're just organizing it in different ways, and all the different parts that we've brought in in the past, we're keeping on the show and just, I don't know, organizing it in a fun, creative way that you're going to hope, I hope you're going to like, a town full of quirky weirdos, a uh, various shows uh, edited and produced by me and David Heath, guests that we find from all over right now Facebook. But hey, if you're interested, if you have poems that you want read, if you have gothic tales that you need to tell, contact us. We're always looking for uh, original work or people who want to read public domain works. So if there's like some gothic poem from, you know, 19th century you want to read, hey, send it my way. We'll we'll put it on. Oleander Book Club, another fine book club podcast. Yeah. And we are a subset of 1130 AM KZOM Oleander, Oregon. We're just 23 minutes, well, 23 miles, uh, I think, south, south of Portland, Produced at KZOM Studios, still part of Badger's Drift Studios, and, uh, yeah, be safe, be kind, be courteous, and don't be a jerk. Thank you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Up next... Cause the mayor says he knows where it's at.